Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show by the Formula Nerds. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll cover the main news headlines from the past week. It's just the three of us this week. Bridges trapped in the 1970s without internet, his girlfriend's new place and Grace is off for the week. But I do have Abby. Abby, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm all good, thanks. And of course, our ever-faithful super sub Sam stepping in again and hopefully giving me lots more compliments about my decorum and such. Sam, how's it going? It's going good. I was really hoping you'd have a short memory uh, about that. Um, hopefully the listener does. I'm afraid um, not. I'm going to keep bringing that up, don't you worry. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good to be here and I'm a, a double substitution on myself this week, so uh, hopefully I can fill those, well, four shoes, I guess. Yeah, no pressure. But let's crack on. Well, where else can we start but with Russia? All well, that anyone in the world is talking about, and F1's no exception, Specifically, the FIA statement released last night, which was then contradicted somewhat by Motorsport UK today. So in a nutshell, the FIA deemed it acceptable for Russian and Belarusian drivers and teams to compete under a neutral FIA flag. Now, many people think the FIA didn't go far enough, say in comparison to FIFA and other such bodies who have been far more, let's say, decisive in their sanctions. And now today we have had an announcement from Motorsport UK saying all Russian and Belarusian drivers and teams will not be permitted to compete in the UK. And that means Nikita Mazepin, along with others, won't be able to compete at the British Grand Prix. So what do we think? Was it too lenient or would it be unfair on innocent drivers to be banned? 
I think that, yeah, I think the FIA, I think that line in the sand wasn't, you know, clear enough. And I think Motorsport UK have provided that clarity. And I think you'll see other countries fall in line, which will ultimately make someone like Nikita Mazepin's place in Formula One untenable for the season. And yeah, I I think you're going to see Haas look to replace him in the next few days. I think they're going to take a little bit of time to kind of publicly state that, but I imagine those conversations are already ongoing. Yeah, I think it's a very difficult thing. It's a very difficult subject to approach. I don't think the FIA were clear enough compared to other sporting bodies, like you said. And I do believe Nikita Mazepin's space within Formula One is unknown at this time whether he will continue in that. And it has an effect on the F3 driver Alexander Somalar as well, who is also Russian. But it, it's difficult to say. But I do agree with what the FIA have done as well. Yeah, completely. I think... Yeah, and I just want to state that, you know, we live in a plural society. There are multiple ways of tackling and looking at the same problem. And, you know, there are lots of very perfectly valid viewpoints here. Um, But I think we've got to a point where it needs to be a really hard line because that's ultimately how you then start to influence change. And, yeah, I think it it needs to be a a zero-tolerance approach. And what Motorsport UK have done is provide that. Yeah, and I think uh, you're right. The F- Finland have already followed suit, um, potentially actually beat Motorsport UK to it. It was around the same time uh, and have taken a zero tolerance policy to it. Um, I know they obviously don't have a group Grand Prix, which quick side note, I, I think a Finnish Grand Prix would be amazing. I'm guessing it's too cold, but uh, I agree. yeah, get get the drivers on snow, mix it up. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's. I think they yeah they have junior formulae in Finland though, so I'm assuming that's the the main the main effect that that will have. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, we're we're not get, we're not here to get into a, a political debate. There are far more well educated well educated people on the subject doing that across the world right now but yeah focusing on motorsport it can make a difference and we've seen that in other sports like I said FIFA banning all banning the the Russian clubs as well as the national team from their competitions and it's it might seem like a, a small fairly inconsequential thing but these things add up and it's all just it's making the difference that you can Yeah, completely. And and what we've also seen, and you know, we haven't heard anything from Nikita Mazepin. I think it's, you know, potentially we haven't heard anything. Partly it could be to do with alleged links to, from the Mazepin family to Putin's regime, but also because he is still in Formula One. But Daniel, Daniel Kvyat, the Formula F1 driver, um, has come out and said that he, he doesn't agree with the approach of, of banning drivers. There's lots of opinions that have been put out there. And, you know, those of you who've missed it, Daniel Kvyat essentially said it's not fair to punish drivers or, you know, athletes who are not linked to their country's regime, not linked to anything political. 
and whilst you know he, he there, there's there's something in that um there has also been people suggesting that uh, drivers will then look to race under a different flag much like um i don't know if it's applicable for anyone any russian drivers in the spotlight but alexander alban for example would be able to race under a british flag um, as well as raising on the, the tie flag that he does. So it's not unheard of that drivers will do that. So it'll be interesting to see if if anyone does take that approach moving forward. Yeah, I know that Robert Schwartzman could race under an Israeli flag because uh, he was born there. So he's obviously moved, he's yeah not involved within the FIA directly now. But yeah, that's following on from your point. That's, yeah, it's definitely an option but it won't be one for, for Mazepin. I think as, as far as I'm aware, he is all Russian all the time. And I mean, they're, they're, that won't be a way around it for him. Um, everyone knows that his hands are tied. Uh, as you say, the, I mean, alleged links. I think there are clearly links between his father and Putin. There are photos of them together, whether or not they actually met up last week is, well, yeah more up for debate I think but yeah uh, everyone knows that Nikita can't really say anything uh, and he's in a horrible position and yeah there's there's nothing going to come out of of his camp that is going to change anything particularly I don't think for sure and also from from Hass's perspective they've already come out and said well, actually we're not you know Reliant, completely reliant on the Eurocali money, we can do without it. And also, well, that's lucky because it's certain that Eurocali won't be sponsoring the team this year. That that was certain from the FIA. As also interestingly, they mentioned the car, um, so they can't use their livery in any way that they had originally planned. And to be honest with you, I thought they were kind of taking the mix slightly last season, given that there was an international, you know, Nikita Mazin couldn't race under a Russian flag last season. Yeah, so absolutely. racing a, a Russian looking car, I thought that was over the line um, at that point. So, you know, well past it now. Um, yeah. I think because they're not reliant on the money and Gene Haas uses it as marketing, marketing tool in F1 and accepts losses in F1, I can't see why they wouldn't replace Mazepin and, not you know not that I think this is necessary the place for a, a conversation on Nikita Mazepin's performance, but you know it's not like he is a high high performer at this stage in his career in F one. Yeah, if, if there's one thing that's coming out of this, it's that Bridges' prediction of Mazepin 2022 champion is is taken a big hit. Um, on that subject, uh, if he does lose his seat. Who do we think is going to replace him? I've heard lots of talk about Pietro Fittipaldi. Uh, there was also, I think, I'm not sure who mentioned it, but uh, Giovinazzi potentially as a Ferrari-affiliated driver coming back. Have you guys heard anything? I've heard of Fittipaldi taking Mazepin's seat, which I would love to see Fittipaldi in Formula One. Giovinazzi returning. He's in Formula E at the moment. I don't know whether he would return to Formula One. Um, but I would like to see Fittipaldi do it. Yeah, it would be great to have a Brazilian back. And he had his what, a two-race cameo after Grosjean's crash and did a pretty decent job. I agree. I think Giovinazzi has 
had his time in F1. I think he probably sees that himself to some extent. And why would he come back to, I mean, who knows how Hass are going to do this year, but yeah, he's got a new adventure in Formula E that he's taking on. Yeah, I've actually got a friend who's, he's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist and he he comes out with bridge? stuff. It's not Bridge. Um, this is the guy who gave me the idea behind my Carlos Sainz conspiracy that basically he doesn't get the airtime because he has Estrella um, or the, the Spanish, there's a Spanish lager that he's sponsored by and F1 don't like it because they're sponsored by Heineken. So that's his theory. Interesting. But... Um, he reckons that Hulkenberg could be an option. And he mentioned because of the, the one-on-one sponsorship from for, for Haas, I pointed out that Hulkenberg isn't himself backed by one-on-one. It's just Schumacher. Um, but I think really you're looking at yeah, Fittipaldi, who I don't, at this stage, I don't think he's necessarily up to the grade. I think you put Giovinazzi in the car, He's a known quantity, right? You know he's going to perform to a certain level. Um, I would like to see Piastri get the drive. There'd have to do. There'd have to be some negotiations with Alpine. Um, but the fact he's not in the sport this year, in in the actual lineup, is a travesty. Yeah, that's very true. Actually, Piastri, after winning F two last year, he's not able to take part in the championship again. So he's just a reserve driver for Alpine, but I would love to see him in Formula One. And I think he deserves to be in Formula One. It's just a shame that at the moment there weren't any seats for him. So on other news uh, around the paddock um, that is broken today, uh, news of Max Verstappen's mega contract that he has now signed. Uh, so it's alleged to be four to five years and also alleged to be up to £50 million a year. Um, I've seen... As low as 40 million, I've seen as high as 55, which is what Lewis Hamilton earns um, by you know, some estimates. Again, these areas are quite grey. I don't know, James, you might know for definite, you might come out and say, no, he earns this amount and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, so a lot of talk has been about Max's uh, huge contract. Um, what do you guys think about it? I mean, that's a hell of a lot of money, isn't it? And I remember Helmut Marco saying Lewis Hamilton was simply too expensive for Formula One. But that, to me, seems like Max is also very expensive with that amount of money. And I don't know whether he's earned it properly. Yes, he had a massive battle against Hamilton last year and he won the championship. But does he deserve to have the same salary as Lewis Hamilton? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Max fan, so that could be why. I'm going to play, simultaneously play the bridge and the anti-bridge here. So firstly, I'll play, I'll play the bridge. I can't wait for this. (laughs) So apparently Lewis Hamilton's team or people associated with him have basically said previously that Max isn't marketable. You know, you can't, you know, he's not worth that money. He's, you know, he's not, he's not sponsor friendly, so on and so forth. And this kind of obviously maybe silences them somewhat. And now to play the anti-bridge or, you know, myself, as as you might refer to it as um, in some cases. Max bottled it at the end of the last season. And now that he's earning close to what Lewis is or even 
equal to what Lewis is. Lewis looks cheap by comparison. Yeah, I think that he bottled it. I think he was lucky to win the title given how the last few races went. I do like a hot take. I, I was I was feeling unfulfilled until you just <laughs> had an argument with yourself. That was great. Uh, <laughs> me in the mirror every day, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you both make fair points uh, to kind of lump them into one. Max is... Clearly, you know, he's an incredible driver and there's no getting away from that. But yeah, does he have the stature within the sport as a, a one-time champion? And as you say, uh, arguably fortunate one-time champion that a seven-time champion does. And that's obviously the, the contract that Lewis has most recently taken up it was as a seven-time champion. Uh, and yeah, marketable. He's obviously tied to Red Bull. Red Bull like their marketing, but whether or not people agree with Lewis's lifestyle, he has brought so much attention to F1. Even like pre-Netflix, it was pretty much him for a few years that was the reason that people knew about Formula One. Uh, but Red Bull have their reasons. They clearly think they just want to tie him down, don't they? And and keep him on as long as they possibly can. And on that note, actually, he's going to be, potentially, if he were to stay for his entire contract, it would be the longest that any driver has spent with one team. Certainly the most Grand Prix. So Michael Schumacher had 180. Lewis is currently on 178. So he'll pass that record at the Australian Grand Prix. But Max is already in the hundreds. I think it was 120 or so. And with more and more races each year, he'll be there in, what, four or five years. Yeah, it does kind of feel like Red Bull are like, oh, okay, so you've won a championship with us. So... We just want you to stay with us and we'll do anything to get you to stay with us instead of going elsewhere. But I don't know. I'm not a massive fan of Red Bull either, to be honest. But it, it's just a lot of money. I can't get my head around how much money it is. It's it's an insane amount. And I saw someone earlier basically postulating that by the end of his career, he'll be a, a, a billionaire. And I guess if he carries on the way he's going, you know, he's what, 23, 24 if he has another 15 years in the sport, then yeah, he's you know, well on his way. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I, I think, I, you know what? I think in some ways this is a reaction to what happened with Vettel. I think they are, you know, tying up their asset for the long term because I think they're aware. Although, and I've said it before, I think Red Bull were the best marketing company in the world. So the overall brand, not just the F1 outfit. But when it comes to F1, they can't compete with the likes of Ferrari or even Mercedes. So I think that's, they're safeguarding their asset in that sense. Yeah, it's the the legendary nature of certain, yeah, teams. McLaren even as well, I would say, obviously, you know, people grow up wanting to drive for Ferrari. Okay, Mercedes have only been in the sport recently for 12 years but they go back to the 50s and Fangio and Mercedes itself is this huge brand in cars and motorsport and yeah and your McLaren has has all that heritage as well which Red Bull can't really boast uh yeah it's you say about Vettel that's that's an interesting one I mean he's he was under contract I don't know how for how long when he and Alonso moved up the driver market back in 2015. 
Now, this is a genuine question because I don't know this. Is is it similar to football where the longer the contract or the longer there is remaining on the contract, the more expensive it is to buy a driver out of that contract? I have no idea. I always assume they just came to some kind of ad hoc settlement and the laws of, I guess, contract law. That was beautifully worded by me. I can't the believe The laws of contract I, law. The laws of contract law. <laughs> the laws of contract believe. law about contracts. Yeah, 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 exactly. I can't believe that uh, people actually let me write things and put it on the internet. Um, but I would assume that by that kind of, you know, logic that, that it would be some somewhat similar so yeah you, you you're, you're basically yeah max is obviously happy with the team and also he's looking understandably a an athlete's career and shelf life is short right i mean they're not gonna be driving till they're to their 65 and you know drawing down their pension so you need to look at your long-term future. You need to look at your family. And this is why I think you see athletes tie themselves into these huge, these mega contracts. It's because it's security, right? So yeah, if 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 Team Max want to now get out of that, I imagine they'll have to pay a premium. Yeah. And it'll be interesting because like he's contracted for four or five more years, but we have George Russell moving into Mercedes. So not only will Max have to battle Hamilton now, he will have to battle George because undoubtedly George will perform well in a silver arrow car. But it will be interesting to see what Max does and whether he will continue. I mean, after he won the championship last year, he said he'd achieved everything he'd wanted to do in Formula One and in life and everything else is just an added bonus. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely interesting. I've always felt, or since he said it, I felt that he was just saying it. I don't know. I, th- I don't know. I don't know why because it's counter to who Max is, right? It's counter to his media profile. It's counter to why people love, uh, why people love him. He's the you know the the antihero, right? He's he's the bad boy of the sport. Lean into that. Say, you know what? I want to win eight. I want to win one more race than Lewis Hamilton did because. If I was that, you know, if I was an athlete, if I was at that level, that's that's how my mindset would be. And to a level, you have to have that mindset to get to that level of of, of motorsport or, or of any sport for that matter. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. I, I saw a quote today from Max saying how he doesn't get involved in mind games. But in the very same interview, he said oh yeah, I wouldn't be meeting up with celebrities just for my profile about Lewis. Like, <laughs> he uh, he likes to claim that he doesn't care and he doesn't, you know, all he does is want to drive. But I think Kimmy is a man who just wanted to drive. I think Max isn't above, like, he just, he has a persona and I think he, he plays to it a certain amount, whether he would admit it or not. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. He's a a very complex person, I'd say. Someone who I wouldn't like to get inside his mind and see what goes on in there. But. So moving on, today in Bahrain, we have Formula 2 and Formula 3 testing going on with all the young drivers who we could see in Formula 1 one day testing out their new cars for the 2022 season. Now, 
I've been paying attention to this testing. I don't know whether you guys have, but some of them look very promising. I mean, in Formula 3, Arthur Leclerc topped the charts this morning. And this afternoon, we had Zane Maloney, who is a rookie for Trident, top the charts as well. And then in Formula 2, Carlin looked very promising for the 2022 season with Liam Lawson in P1 and then Logan Sargent in P3, who has moved up to Formula 2 from Formula 3 as well. I'm excited for this for the seasons this year of F2 and F3. I'm excited to see what they're going to do, especially since they're racing alongside Formula 1 as well now. Yeah, I think definitely the, the calendar returning to the more traditional format is definitely an improvement. That was a, it was a bit of a shocker last year. It was an experiment, but it didn't work. It was confusing. And then they suddenly wouldn't race for two months and you'd kind of forget about the, the championship. So it's nice to see that return. And yeah, I know it should be a, should be an exciting one. I think you, you touched on Logan Sargent and it's funny, everyone talks about Colton Herter every time. Uh, an American driver has been mentioned with Andretti or whatever. And Logan Sargent seems to kind of gone under the radar a bit. And I think he's he's a prospect. He was right there with Piastri in F3 when he won it. And now he's moved up and I think he could be the real deal. I totally agree on uh, on Sargent there. And also he, he rivals not only Piastri, but also Porcher, who many people probably are looking at as a potential um, winner of the uh, the F2 championship this season. And I can't say that without mentioning Sergeant's teammate, Liam Lawson, um, who performed very well in Bahrain last year in the, in the F2. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he hits the ground running again. Um, he certainly could be a, a contender as well. Uh, so yeah, Carlin are looking very strong at this stage. Interestingly, on, on the Colton Herscher um, point you make there, I saw some news earlier, I think it was today or, or yesterday, Mario Andretti was saying that just before they, um, when they was looking like they were going to buy Sauber or Alfa Romeo, Alfa Romeo Sauber, um, which he called that deal that fell through a joke, he said that Colton Herscher jumped in the simulator and was quicker than Giovinazzi and Kimi. So that wow. is quite something. Um so yeah, it'd be it'd be really good to see to see see if that comes to anything at any point because yeah, it looks like that would be a uh, Colton's way into the sport if uh, if the Andretti rumours do come to fruition. Well, that's F two testing, but F one testing happened last week. We only kind of caught the first third of it in our in our show last week, so it stayed about the same. Ferrari and McLaren both kept looking good, but then. Yeah, the predictable show of Verstappen and Hamilton coming to back towards the front came to pass. And yeah, we, we ended up with Lewis narrowly at the top of the timings. And I mean, I have I don't have the stats on me. Does anyone know? Because <laughs> I know it was uh, it was close and Perez was second fastest or was Russell? I think it was Mercedes, Mercedes, Red Bull, Red Bull. Right. But interestingly... As always, as you always get, is everyone will jump on the bandwagon of the Mercedes aren't that quick. They're you know they're doing something. Lewis Hamilton isn't happy. Blah blah blah. And I actually think Mercedes have strategically, from a PR perspective, 
deployed George Russell to come out and say some negative things because he has said some things that, okay, I wouldn't say they're negative, but they're vague or they're, so, you know, kind of somewhat kind of, you know, they infer or imply problems. I just don't see that, right? You look, you look at the lap times and they're going, oh yeah, but you know, they're on better tyres. And you know, this is, you know, as Lewis Hamilton has said, Lewis Hamilton himself said, my team don't make mistakes. This is a incredibly well-oiled outfit. And yeah, I think, see, I think it will be, you know, those four teams, so that, that being Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren and Ferrari that are, are leading the field when we get to Bahrain. Yeah, it's it's looking that way. Obviously, we'll we'll see far more in the next test. But if we can get four cars at the front, that'd be that'd be the dream, really. Um, now, one of the the hot topics to come out of testing was porpoising. Now, Sam and I were lucky enough to feature on the Cut to the Race podcast, the one hundredth Cut to the Race podcast, in fact, uh, with the legend that is Craig Scarborough or Scarbs on Twitter. You may know him. It's F1's tech guru, or one of F1's tech gurus. And he's he's given us the lowdown on everything from testing. Incredibly knowledgeable man. Highly recommend going and listening to that. But porpoising, in a nutshell, is the, the downforce of the car being so extreme and these new uh, underfloor aerodynamics that we have with the ground effect, drawing the car in until it touches the floor, then it, wow, he, I just realised how well he explained this yesterday because it's, it's quite hard to put into words. It basically bottoms out and then air creeps in again and then you get this bouncing effect. So does that make sense, Abby? Because I know you wanted to, <laughs> to understand how it worked. <laughs> yes, that does make sense. Thank you for explaining it to me. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, testing is all about figuring out the design of the car and the handling for the drivers and collecting data in that. But it's very interesting to see that that's happened. And also there's an issue with some of the cars being overweight, I believe. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's It's come out a little bit later. I think there were a few rumours maybe towards the end of the testing, but yeah, certainly earlier this week, uh, yeah, the, the team's supposed weight problem. Now we're, we're not talking about engineers on diets here. It is the cars themselves being apparently for the most part, around about 10 kilos over the weight limit. Now, that doesn't make them illegal. It just makes them not as fast. Uh, it was another thing that Scarbs somewhat debunked yesterday. Uh, he he basically said, well, Sam, you do you want to explain? You have your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to... But basically, I think this is really... This point really stresses how much you should listen to this podcast with, with, with Scarbs. The knowledge knows no bounds. He just, it was, you know, brilliant to kind of talk to him and understand, you know, his, his his knowledge of the sport. But yeah, basically what he was saying is that this isn't abnormal at this stage of testing where you've got a big rule change. And there's, you know, essentially what, what the teams can do to kind of reduce the the, the weight is, is, is shorten the, the car slightly. And... He was suggesting that potentially the Alpha, which is on the weight limit at the moment, so have managed to kind of get hold of those, uh, you know, the 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 regulations. It could be because they've shortened the car slightly and thus, you know, reduced the weight limit 
which he has also said comes at a cost performance-wise. And whilst I'm on Alpha, one thing that has happened, the one livery that has been released in between our last midweek news show and now, is the Alpha livery. I, for one, am very relieved they got rid of that uh, camo um, livery. It... (laughs) Some of the camo liveries in the past have looked nice, but that one just was, I don't know, just really jarring. Yeah. I think it was jarring because it was so effective. Um, so, James, Abby, what do you think of the Alpha livery? I don't mind it. I quite like it. I like the Italian flag on the back of the rear wing. It's not my favourite, but it's not my least favourite either. Now, if you have been checking out the FormulaNerds.com website, you would have seen an article that Sam wrote ranking the liveries with his opinion on them. I agree with his top livery. I do agree with that. But his livery that he rated 10th, I do not agree with. Yes. For once, we are the majority here, and I'm going to to milk it. The (laughs) McLaren is the greatest livery that has ever existed. And it's certainly okay. It's not, but it's. I still like it, and it's definitely not the worst on the grid. And yeah. I, but I agree with all those comments that are telling Sam that he is colorblind. Yeah, in defence of myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> in defence of myself, um, someone told me that I saw someone say it was clickbait. It was my is my genuine opinion that the McLaren is the worst-looking car on the grid this year, or that it has the worst-looking livery. And I think a part of that is because the papaya has been so nice the last couple of years. And I think what I actually kind of said is there's almost this element of you either die a hero or you live yourself, you see yourself live long enough to become the villain. And I think uh, I feel a little bit like that about the... Uh, James is laughing at me now because it, it's a bit dramatic. It's a little bit melodramatic, a little, yeah. A little bit dramatic. Um but yeah, I think that um, with, well, going back to the alpha livery very quickly uh, before I forget, you, I, I would imagine some people would see comparisons between the um, the Marlboro McLaren or I think it was actually an Alfa Romeo, a Marlboro Alfa Romeo in the 80s that looks almost identical to McLaren. In the 80s, there were two cars that, that looked very, very similar on the grid at the same time. Uh, which would really annoy me. Um, But I actually think it looks like the 2012 Sauber, the C31, which inexplicably had a Chelsea um, emblem or logo um, on the engine cover. Obviously has some kind of, you know, links to Chelsea that season. But anyway, um, yeah, check out that article. Um, It might infuriate you, but I stand by it. It is my genuine opinion. Just to to quickly touch on, yeah, the Alpha. I I think, yeah, overall, I totally see what you mean about the comparison to the Sauber, the the diagonal line. And it's something a bit different. It's something you don't really see on F1 cars too often. So I respect them for doing something a bit different. Yeah, I think maybe their last two liveries have been a little bit sleeker. Uh, but I also love the the Italian flag, like you mentioned, and the uh, the the wheels, the the wheel covers. I think they've done the Potentially the best job on the wheel covers, the the half white, half red. Yeah, I really wasn't keen on the kind of bringing back of the the wheel covers. I liked it how it was, but Alpha have done that very, very well. Um, so 
I can live with that. What I don't want to see is stats being, the, the wheel covers being used to show stats mid-race. It feels a little bit futuristic to me. And I don't know, just like, it's a bit like, yeah, it just, it feels like a bit too far, a bit gimmicky in my opinion. I think they've generally underused them for the most part of the teams. I was uh, I was expecting more. Whenever you saw the the kind of mock-up liveries that people were doing, they were utilising them in really cool ways or at least kind of involving the colours of the team. And for the most part, they've just got a white line on it and it makes them look more like those, uh, you know, temporary wheels that you have to fit to your car if you get a puncture on the motorway. Yeah, I agree. And whilst we're on the topic of liveries, actually... Last week, I said that I disliked the Alpine. And I said that quite a lot, I believe, actually. Um, But after seeing it on track during testing, I may have changed my mind a bit. It's not as bad as I thought it was. It's actually... In the sunlight, it looks good. So in Singapore, I don't know whether it will look as good because it's a night race. But in the sunlight, I'm partial to it. It's all right. See, I think Singapore actually makes liveries look ones that look good in the sunlight even better. I think under the lights, they really kind of. I agree with you on the Alpine livery there, though. I still don't love it, but it's a hell of a lot better on track than it is in photos or, or renders or you know whatever you want to uh, call them. But generally speaking, I actually think this is a very very attractive grid. I think the cars, and I think it's the 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 diverse kind of look of the cars. It's a new regu- new regulations. People have gone with different philosophies. I love how different they look. It reminds me of the 90, like the early 1980s. Um, so yeah, I think that's really great. Um, and yeah, so I think even the bad looking cars comparatively are actually pretty, pretty good looking. Yeah, it, it's pretty diverse, pretty diverse grid with lots of variety. So It'll be good to see them all on track in the first race. I'm looking forward to seeing them all there. And finally this week, those of you who are Netflix subscribers um, or just you know use the internet will know that the Drive to Survive trailer has dropped. So it was confirmed that it will be released on the 11th of March. Um, and yeah, we got the first sneak peek, a minute or so of, well, basically just drama um i i can't see how it it's not going to be the best season so far given what happened last year will it be over eggs maybe um what do you guys think i'm excited to see it the trailer did get me very excited to watch it i do think it could be over exaggerated in some parts and my only reservation with it is i don't want drivers to be pitted against each other that are teammates that actually get on I know with Verstappen and Ricardo before and Sainz and Norris they pitted them against each other and I don't want to see that with the likes of Ricardo and Norris who do get on maybe not as well as Sainz and Norris but they do get on but I'm very excited I feel like I might book the whole day off just to sit down and binge watch it now I get to be the uh, the substitute bridge now and have the hot take. I mean, anyone who's a, a long-time listener may know that I have something of a love-hate relationship with Drive to Survive, particularly last season. And what you're saying about Carlos and Lando was 
getting close to a final straw for me and that it annoyed me so much that I felt like I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I was questioning whether I would watch the next season. Then obviously the season came around and was amazing. And then it ended with Abu Dhabi, which I, as much as I'm moving on from, I still have a bit of taste in my mouth about. So I am undecided whether I will actually watch it. Uh, we, we'll see. I'll see what people say. Uh, and then I'll make up my mind, maybe give it the first episode a chance. Now, as an alternative, there's also Jewel on Sky Sports. Uh, you guys thinking of watching that as well? I will be. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of pissing drivers against each other, obviously this is more conventional because they're you know, from different teams, so it's not so controversial. Um, or, well, actually, it was really controversial. Um, yes, I'll absolutely be watching it. Very much looking forward to that. Yeah, I agree. I will definitely be watching it. I think in the trailer we see the likes of Damon Hill, Martin Brundle, everyone there with in the Sky Sports team giving their opinions throughout the season, I believe, um, on the battle. So it'll be interesting to see some of the behind the scenes and other thoughts on what happened between Hamilton and Verstappen. We know that F1 has a bit of a narrative when it, it comes to Drive to Survive and it's all about promotion, uh, whereas... I think Sky Sports has that less, you know, they don't need to promote the sport in the same way as much as they obviously do. And there were more of the pundits who were outspoken after Abu Dhabi, uh, rather than we just had silence or not much from people such as Will Buxton. And I think it would be nice to to see their, their version of events and throughout the season. And hopefully, yeah, it's it'll have some great production value as well, which we know Netflix does and occasionally exaggerates things like radio and the noise of impact. For sure. Like, yeah, I, th- I think they fill different kind of places within the the media of Formula One. Um, so, you know, it'd be, it'd be really good because, you know, people like Martin Brundle are just so engaging I could I could listen to Martin Brundle talk about F1 just constantly like I just absolutely he's just brilliant and it's brilliant to have a a former driver as well be able to provide that level of insight and kind of you know um, which I think is something context is something that Netflix I think sometimes lacks I think they will have been aware that they maybe crossed the line in points of season three and how careful they need to be with season four given that season four was that much more uh volatile uh for the sport so hopefully they do it justice um i'm optimistic so that is all the news that we have time for today but we will be back next week with even more news and remember to check out the formula nerds website at formulanerds.com and to give a listen to the Cut to the Race podcast and the latest episode with sam and james and craig scarborough as well and ollie So thank you guys for being here and talking through the news with me. Pleasure, as ever. And Sam? I loved it as always. Uh, (laughs) It was fun to kind of play my part as Bridge. James also was an admirable stand in there. It just needs admirable, is that a word? Admirable, if you said that. (laughs) Did you say admiral? Yeah, An admiral stand in, like I'm wearing a hat. I'm going to do that again.
Social Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.